Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Fright... (laughs) (laughs) Off to a rousing start. Thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb 250. I am your host, Iron Man, definitely right, government oversight for the win. And with me today, as always, Captain America, Kayla St. Yeah! Mm-hmm. I've been waiting all year for this! And we're here today with this brand new movie because we saw it Thursday night, but also it's already number 64 on the IMDb 250. Because the internet has betrayed me. Yeah! Man, but first, before we get to the uh, second best movie about superheroes fighting each other this year. I swear to God. We're going to be talking a little bit for what's usually a recently watched action about like 2016 films we've seen in general. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about Batman vs. Superman because that will be on the podcast going up right before this one in which Ben Rettenhouse and I talk quite a bit about that just incredible movie. Just so if you a, haven't listened to that yet, a, you should go do that because it'd be like a Revenant-style takedown. But also we say nice things about Amadeus because that's a fun movie. But yeah, yeah, so for the perspective on the other uh, clearly superior superheroes fighting each other movie this year... Uh, hit that up. For now, though, let's get into 2016 a bit. Kayla, we meant to talk about this, but it just ended up not happening. The first 2016 movie that we saw and loved, because we don't want to talk about The Forest again, <laughs> was The Witch. Let's just pray. Yes. That was a movie we saw. It was. It came out. It was divisive, but it was successful for A24. A24 is one of those studios where, like, they can kind of just do whatever they want, and I will watch it. Like a Daniel Radcliffe farting corpse movie? Yeah. You know, now that I've actually seen the trailer for that, it honestly looks pretty delightful. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so The Witch was a really interesting movie. I think that the reason it has sparked such a huge debate is because it's not continually jump out of your seat scary, and... I don't think that that's necessarily what makes a good scary movie in the first place. Um, Or a good horror movie. Yeah, like jump scares can be effective, and there actually are a couple in this movie. And we like getting scared in movies. Yeah, but... But it's not the only purpose of horror movies. I think we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but I think what works best for me in a horror movie is kind of that overarching sense of dread. Existential doom. Yeah, well, if you look at the horror movies that we've both really liked over the past couple of years, it follows Oculus, um, The Conjuring... Um, the guest. The guest. A lot of existential dread in that one. Yeah, that one. That one is more. That one is a lot more fun than more the a, rest of them. But, really. But like, I think that horror is at its best as a genre when it is working to tell a good story and not just trying to scare you. And I think that that is what the witch succeeded in doing because overall, the story is compelling. At least for me, the story is compelling from beginning to end. I genuinely cared about what happened to Thomason 
And I think another good thing is that that movie put a lot of effort into its characters. Like, when I saw the trailers, I was pretty much assuming that the father character was going to be a giant asshole. And really, he's not. He kind of spends the movie being this flawed character who's just trying to do his best and live up to his religion and he can't do it. Because who can? I mean, no, like, really, you can't. Like, the especially in that time frame with the kind of, like, puritanical Christianity that was... Um, that was the main religion at the time like there's honestly there's no way to live up to that kind of a standard so i think the movie does best as an interesting character study that is completely unsettling the score is phenomenal Mm -hmm. i feel like we've really been getting a lot of great scores out of horror movies this year or in the past couple of years rather Mm -hmm. but yeah the only thing i wanted that i want to mention is we had the misfortune of seeing this in theaters with a really terrible audience and also directly next to a theater playing Star Wars. And it's a very quiet movie. So if you're going to watch it, I would recommend uh, it's, viewing it at a time when your home will be quiet. <laughs> it's newly on VOD, so you can actually do that now. It does come out on DVD, I think, in two weeks? Yeah, but it's yeah. on VOD now. Yeah. So we're so, timely. Yeah, so if you... Um, don't have VOD or I don't know, you don't want to pay for that. <laughs> you can go to a video store and rent it on DVD. We actually do that quite a bit. Yes. Video store that shall not be named. Uh, Hi, Rebecca. It's also... <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I would also like to comment that it is probably one of the most um, purely period pieces I've ever seen. It is... <laughs> straight up 1700s or whatever it is in there it's it really impressive they even have the accents down and everything it just looks very uncomfortable and while that is not alone a reason to praise a good movie i think it is executed to good effect and you know it really helps get across how upsetting religion can be yeah um, i think it's interesting too i've seen a lot of different theories about um like the witch and whether or not it was supposed to be real or not. And I mean, if you've seen the movie, the ending kind of definitively puts that to rest in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, um, are we doing spoilers for this? Does it matter? You can do a quick spoiler. I can skip ahead like a minute if I need to. Yeah. So the main thing, I actually really liked the ending where it showed that there was a witch coven living in the woods because I think that there are so many horror movies that play into the, is it real or is it just in their head kind of thing? And, It's almost, I guess maybe nice isn't the right word, but sure. It's nice to have a movie where the evil is like clearly real, clearly defined, and wasn't just something that Thomason was imagining the entire time. And also, fuck y'all, Black Phillip was really cool, and if I have to hear one more person being like, ugh, the goat talked at the end, it was so stupid, I'm gonna punch you. The whole point is that it wasn't a goat, it was Satan. He's not actually a goat. Like... I don't know how much clearer that could be, but apparently that really bothered a lot of people. So, whatever. A lot of people were also bothered by the fact that it told you that the witch co- the witch was real basically from the beginning. Yeah, but it's like that's like the first thing that happens in the movie is baby butter. It's a so. story making choice, baby butter. Mm. <laughs> you just like spread it on your skin. 
get rid of those wrinkles. And you can fly. <laughs> you can fly. Yeah. That is actually straight out of New England witch folklore, which is why that horrific, awful scene was included, was because I, I, it was real. I mean, most of the stuff was, was quote-unquote real. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's, like, a, a really nice thing about New England is that they do have a rich cultural history of... Uh, Terrible things happening Burning to women. <laughs> so you can rest assured that that movie was accurate. Great rich culture. Okay. Going on to the next uh, 2016 movie we saw, which we rewatched recently, Deadpool. I'd say that you sound like an infomercial, but not a good one, like Slap Chop, more Shake Weighty. Yeah. Deadpool, the other incredibly successful superhero movie this year that a lot of people loved. And you know what? We loved it too. I did indeed. I was actually really worried when we went into Deadpool because um, I don't think Deadpool the character himself is problematic but there are a lot of ways that they could have like they could have really easily chosen the easy way out to make fanboys happy and just make it a super offensive long uh, (laughs) just like (laughs) gross movie and they didn't do that I felt that for them like obviously there's like some dumb humor in it but it's like it tastes it's in taste and it isn't like gratuitous I don't think but I really liked Deadpool. I thought that Negasonic Teenage Warhead was a beautiful addition. And, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds having a blast. And, you know, it's nice to see him actually have something work out for once. Right? I really like Ryan Reynolds. That rich, beautiful, <laughs> famous actor. It's His been a rough go so for him. His so hard. Yeah. <laughs> ben Affleck and Ryan Reynolds are my two, like, I don't know, I like them. Like, just leave them alone, <laughs> actors. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, don't get a giant back tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't. Oh, no, it was fake. It was totally fake. Oh, S- yeah. Super definitely fake. Uh-huh. Just like the very public affair with If the... you are suffering in a way that Ben Affleck is suffering, I would like to remind you that there are resources to help you. This is true. And you don't have to get a giant back tattoo of a phoenix to deal with your problems. Was this after he got sucked into the DC universe? Maybe there might, yes, I feel like it got... There might be some causation there, you know? You know, he spent a lot of his career talking about how he never wanted to do, like, a superhero franchise, so... Not that, like, obviously people have the prerogative to change their mind, yeah. but I don't know. What would DC do if they had chosen any other actor who wasn't also an acclaimed director that could be brought in to executive produce their Justice League movie that has nothing but terrible PR going into it? You remember when my favorite thing that has happened for the PR cycle for DC was when everybody was like, man, Batman versus Superman sucked. Is, Su- is Suicide Squad going to be this uh, this grim and ridiculous? And they were like, no, of course not. We just have to very quickly call everybody to do some reshoots right now. But you don't saw worry. how we totally copied Guardians of the Galaxy with the kind of trailer we put out, right? It's super it's like fun like that. Not. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. If there are any DC fanboys who listen to it, they're going to I don't give a shit. The movie was bad. It was a bad movie. Get over it. It was. I sat there for three goddamn hours, <laughs> and I, wa- I was like, I'm going with an open eye. I heard you know, Ben Affleck's supposed to be really good. Wonder Woman's supposed to be really good. Ben Affleck was like fine, but Batman wasn't even that great. We, we had our podcast about that. We are Deadpool. a full Marvel fan podcast and y'all are just gonna have to look i actually that. really love image comics but they don't have as many like movies so. <laughs> uh but deadpool i mean i think part of the reason we kind of switched that is like 
there's a lot of stuff you could dive into with Deadpool, but you really have to dive into it. And we're just going doing a brief overview, but it's really fun and funny, and the action's pretty intense. And that guy was up there when we got here, and we didn't kill anyone. <laughs> That's a joke from the movie. If you haven't seen it yet. But yeah, no, it's good to see Ryan Reynolds get to just really have a blast with something, especially when his last turn as quote-unquote Deadpool was <sighs> a horrific disaster, which he was apparently pretty much blackmailed into doing mm-hmm. so that he could maybe, hopefully, get to do the actual Deadpool movie one day. It'll be interesting how the other X-Men movies try to fold in Deadpool in some way to capitalize on I really, the... I really would like that. Like, <laughs> What is that? So it's funny how there's this whole big house and I only ever see you two here. It's almost as if the studio couldn't afford another X-Men. They, they could. Probably not. No. <laughs> not with the budget that they, for some reason, gave Deadpool. The other X-Men were in the days of the future and the past. Stuart or McAvoy, this timeline is really confusing. Are we just going to quote jokes from the movie now? Yeah. Okay. Okay, um, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> so we also saw... Uh, let's do high rise, yeah, I was gonna say so that we time. don't end on a down note. Yes. <laughs> I'm a fast learner. I was really excited for High Rise. It's the latest movie from Ben Wheatley, who literally every horror sci-fi genre fan that you know will be in love with, because the dude is really good. His last movie, Kill List, is one of the most like traumatizing movies I've ever seen. And so I was really excited going to High Rise. It had great production. It had great production design. It was slick. Tom Hiddleston's a fine actor, even when he's not. Goddamn Loki. <laughs> uh, but then we watched the movie like the day it came out on VOD, and it's not great. I didn't really know anything going into it about the director or anything, so I feel like I had pretty neutral expectations of it just being like i like a lot of people in this cast but i i guess the the main thing that i took away from this movie is i haven't ever seen something that i would describe as gratuitous and also completely boring like it seems like those aren't really two things that go together but my main issue i felt like the script was so very pleased with itself in a way that did not reflect well and we talked about it a little bit i just feel like it it seemed like the people working on the film felt like they were doing some great grand artistic achievement and yet i don't really feel like the movie lived up to that like i I feel like they got so wrapped up in being pleased with themselves that it, the movie suffered for it. We've talked about how not every movie needs to have like a message. It can just be a good story. But this seemed like a movie very very clearly designed to deliver like a message about, you know, class systems and the nature of man and all this stuff. But while you could tell it was like overt what the themes were, I mean it's it's a bill it's a skyscraper where the higher up you live, the more you get. Like it's very it, it's on the nose that yeah it's very on the nose but <laughs> like everything in that movie it's either super on the nose or it's like vaguely hinted at and it's style it, it almost feels stylistic without taking care of any of the actual messaging or making any of that clear first so that the whole thing feels very muddled 
Like, I know what they're trying to say, but I only know what they're trying to say because the setup, they haven't really told me anything. There's some cool-looking stuff, and the actors are good, but... I felt like a lot of it was just kind of an excuse to have some interesting, like, dance-like violent movements Mm -hmm. set to a classical music score. And while I understand, again, like, I understand the point that they were trying to make, but I honestly felt like a lot of what they chose to portray on screen as far as, like, violent class uprising was overtly gratuitous. Like, And it was, like, skipping things in the way that wouldn't necess- necessarily be bad. Like, you don't have to show us every point. But when you're not kind of giving us much to get a handle on it's kind of necessary to have a little more structure to it and a little less art also my big beef is that when you're trying to show a class struggle and whatnot show me a class struggle don't show me like 12 instances of women getting assaulted and then like oh yeah also we smashed some stuff because we're mad at the capitalist system and also like that was my big gripe with it was I felt like it was a lot of excuse just to show people getting raped. And, and I don't like that. Luke <laughs> Evans was like the, I guess, I guess he was like the blue collar uprising. He was like the main force behind it. The mustache guy with the kids. Yeah. And like, you only really know that because he lives on a lower floor and he wears like a jean jacket or something and like looks like a blue collar dude and has kids. He has bad hair. Yeah, like, the, a lot of the work there, I feel like, is done just with the set dressing, which a lot of the set dressing was good. He kind of impressive mutton chops going on. Hmm. But he, he like, it, it kind of almost portrayed him as, like, this vigilante uprising. Like, the, the people on top got to put him down, and there isn't really much. Like, in a way that it didn't seem like it was saying much, it was like he's doing bad things and they're mad, so... It it just felt very muddled and more empty and very empty for a movie that seemed like its main point was to have big things to say. Yeah, I think and that was the main. I don't know. I was just and also it was it was really long and kind of boring. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm like I spent twenty minutes grappling with the fact that I didn't like it because I was so <laughs> excited for it, and I just didn't understand what happened and i think part of it too is it's been said a lot of times over the years that you can't really adapt jg ballard for the screen Mm -hmm. and while i don't like to be on the oh like i don't like being in the camp that you can't cross mediums for certain pieces of art like i have pretty pretty much almost always enjoyed film adaptations of books even with changes or differences but i do think honestly sometimes there are just things that work better as written word than they do visually a good example of that um a couple years ago john krasinski did an adaptation of the david foster wallace short story collection brief interviews with hideous men and while there are parts of that movie that i really really liked there's just something in the way that the dialogue is written because he pretty much takes all of the dialogue exactly from the novel. When you're adapting David Foster Wallace, that seems smart, to be fair. I mean, yes, but yeah. you can really tell <laughs> that it isn't necessarily something that's meant to be read aloud. It's not really, because it's not really how people talk. It yeah. works stylistically when you're reading it, but when you hear it out loud, it's 
hard to focus on anything but the fact that it sounds really unnatural. True. So I think that is kind of maybe a huge part of what went wrong with High Rise, mm. too, is that if you were reading it, it wouldn't seem empty or gratuitous. But when you see it played out or you have to listen to them actually say what they say in the book, it becomes more distracting than meaningful. Yeah. I felt a little self-conscious about this because it's never good to, like, validate how you feel about something with other people's opinions but i i I was a little glad that i wasn't alone in thinking wasn't that great with kayla and then other people i knew who were excited for it a couple podcasters i knew who watched it and were just kind of nonplussed by it i was like i was just thinking it's not i do not want to live this way normally where i feel better about how i feel because of how other people feel but i just glad I was I didn't think I was missing anything but I just was so surprised that it didn't work for me as y'all know I have absolutely no qualms when I think that a movie sucks this so. is why I need <laughs> you on this podcast <laughs> so that's kind of our negative take on high rise but <laughs> I will still I will still be so hyped for the next Ben Wheatley movie <laughs> that's part of it too is I think when someone you love who you don't think's really disappointed in you in the past suddenly disappoints you and it's like oh this is i didn't know you could do this well, not, no, i mean <laughs> that's very ne- that's too yeah. negative well, i don't want to like, say it. i not don't every film is going to be perfect and great even yeah. if you were and i don't think it. this is worthless i think there's some really good stuff in it like it might be worth like it's worth watching if you're a ben wheatley fan or just kind of interested in the subject matter but it, yeah i'm like i spent th- 20 minutes after the movie reckoning with it and this is turning into that again so let's move on to a movie we did like and it's my favorite movie of the year so far Careful now. Green Room! Green Room. Green Room! (laughs) Green Room was phenomenal. I will say, um, if you haven't seen it yet, you should probably uh, skip this part of the podcast because I think that it is a movie that is better the less you know about it going in. So I think it still stands well without knowing stuff about it, but it's just... Oh, That's what I'm saying. The, it's the such le- a great the less, visceral experience. Yeah, so the less you know, the better. So please, if you haven't seen it yet, just skip this part. Check the timestamps to see when our Civil War discussion begins. Yeah, so yeah. Green Room was something that I was excited for, like, tangentially, I guess. I Because I was so amped. Yeah, I think I saw I think I think saw the trailer, like, the very, very first teaser trailer. I think trailer. I sent it to you, like, three times. Yeah, I think, but the only thing I saw was that initial, like, really short teaser trailer. Yeah. And I, one thing that I was excited about, like, I know this isn't really the focus of the movie, but as somebody who has spent a lot of time in the world of punk rock and has been on tour when you're poor and whatnot, it's really cool to see that kind of aesthetic portrayed in a movie and to feel like they get it right for the most part, because I feel like a lot of film depictions of bands are completely unrealistic because really like unless you're super mega famous and rich touring kind of sucks like it's it's fun don't get me wrong you get screwed over at every show in a different way that was one of my favorite parts was when the the show fell through and he was like uh i only got this much for you from the door and you're playing like in a bowling alley yeah so that has that has happened to the band that i've been on tour with before where just like nobody showed up and it was like well i guess we get twenty (laughs) dollars so um that part of it was really fun, and that was <laughs> the only fun part of the movie because the rest of it was viscerally scary. <laughs> but not like, I don't know, not like jumpy scary, more like tense scary. Oh, yeah. It's te- it's such it's- tension the whole time. And this is one of those things where, like, I don't think a movie is good just because, like, it surprises you or don't know what's going to happen next. But there's a big thing that this movie does well is you really don't know what's going to happen next. 
And you know that because it's not afraid to just kill people right off the bat. Yeah, so, yeah, and so the character that ends up surviving the entire movie is the person I thought was going to die immediately right away. And I think it's um, really cool to have a slasher kind of movie that has a clearly defined bad guy side because I feel like a lot of slasher movies are kind of about punishing teenagers for just doing teenage things. Mm -hmm. And this movie is more like, yeah, they're literally Nazis. Like, there is no reason that anybody should be, unless you are a Nazi, in which case I can't help you with that. Also weird that you're listening to this podcast. (laughs) Right. That focuses a lot on, like, feminist issues. Well, like, you know how, like, a lot of times in slasher movies, like, who is the most famous person from the movie? It's Jason. It's Freddy. It's, like, Pinhead. Like, they have that kind of cult following where people really, like, kind of hero worship them. And that's kind of what really makes me wary of the slasher film genre as far as horror goes is because I do generally find it to be kind of grossly misogynist because we've talked about this before, how like the special smart girl is the one that lives the whole time and like anybody who does like dumb slut things dies. And like there is a girl that gets killed in the very beginning of the movie, but like we don't really know. She's she's not really a character. She's kind of a set piece. She she's like the, <laughs> she's what sets off the action. Yeah. So like it's not really like specifically misogynist. It's more like pretty much this everyone's punk band trying to that, get iced. Yeah. yeah. I will say, uh, obviously, it's not on the side of the Nazis, but you can't. <laughs> You've already it, you already fucked up. Yep. I, I don't know where you're going no, with no, this, no. but it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no, it shows you their side of things, and it's like the reason that it's kind of like it's very methodical, like we're very matter of fact. This movie, the band is trying to get out while the venue is trying to cover up what happened, and uh, like so, they're not trying to be sadistic monsters who are terrifying these kids and then murdering them. They just want to get, they're just trying to clean up the mess so they can go on with their Nazi punk shows. And like, no, I'm, I'm... <laughs> no, I think, and also it's funny because they probably would have been able to just leave if they hadn't, <laughs> they do a really ridiculous cover of Nazi punks fuck off to open their set, which immediately pisses everybody off. But then they get into it, into the jams. You yeah. Know? So I think that that is a big part of the catalyst for why they decide it's easier to murder all of them than to just let them go. It's like it was I'm kind of going off of how you said it's not like overtly like worship it's not worshiping the bad guys, it's not being misogynist or not it's not gleeful in how it's murdering these kids. It's very matter of fact in that they're just like both sides are just trying to do what's best for them. Yeah. And there's nothing there's no sinister there's no sinister undertone to the murdering of these children. There honestly isn't, though. Like, it's like it's not like they're enjoying... Like, none of them are enjoying hurting them or killing them. They're literally just trying to clean up so that their, like, drug operation Which doesn't is, get exposed. It's almost impressive because the bad guys have a very good plan throughout the most of it. And it makes it even more impressive that the band gets out. Because I legitimately had no idea how the fuck anyone was going to get out of there. I think, honestly... It, the movie really relies on the whole like eventually your enemy will be worn down yeah. and you will be able to pull something off because like overconfidence is the big thing. Yeah, there is cuz yeah, there's definitely a lot of dread and hopelessness in that because there's no way out of the room that they're locked in. They don't they lose the gun that they were given almost immediately. Um But they the one advantage they have is that they're, they're being a little underestimated, and also their enemy has to come to them. Every time they go to them, which, again, if you haven't watched it, whatever, 
every time they go to them, it backfires. But when they let them come into them, it that's when it works out. Like, that's when they're able to kind of get the jump on them. Yeah. And I was, we joked about this a little bit after we left the theater, but I was like, these movies are always so optimistic in a way that's like, they would spend so much time fighting for their lives. Like, I don't, I don't know if I have that kind of resilience in me to try and go up against a giant group of Nazi punks trying to murder me. Like, I feel like I would pretty much just give up right away. I mean, maybe that's wrong. Cause I feel, I mean, obviously we, we have a pretty strong fight or flight response, mm-hmm. like naturally embedded in us, but I don't know. I feel like I generally tend to know when I'm beat <laughs> and the way that these really young kids continually, uh, continue the way that these kids continually just, try to survive and come up with plans and kind of in the end go nuts and hope that it works for them. Having punk badass Imogen Poots leading you is not a hard way to difficult. This is true, yeah. It it helps. It helps a lot. (laughs) Also, we learned a lot about how duct tape can be used to prevent wounds from causing you to bleed out. Oh, God. Yeah, there are some scenes. (laughs) He does... He doesn't linger on the graphic violence and the uh, after effects thereof, but he shows them. Uh, he he shows you what happens when this graphic violence is executed, and it's uh, it's grisly. It is yeah, grisly. There are definitely some very much like woof <laughs> scenes in the movie. Like we're just sitting there with our popcorn and our pop and having a good time, and then Anton Yelchin gets his arm half to cap like half cut off in a door, and I'm like, I'm just gonna set that popcorn on the floor. Because I am done with that. And now. you don't know what happens. Like, you know, like they're fighting for, or Tolkien's was, it's, they're fighting for the gun. And then, you know, something like, happens. You can, like, you can see the door, like, shutting on his arm, but, like, you don't really, like, I wouldn't think that that would happen. I think there was maybe some metal work going on on the other side. Too. I don't know. Fuck, though. That it was, was like, that's upsetting. one of the worst things I've Ooh, seen. Like, this is the movie we're watching. Yeah, I think um, it pretty much. I think that's kind of the definitive shift in tone in the film because at first it's kind of like, oh, these guys are assholes. And it's we're kinda... grim and it's tense, but... There's also a lot of dark humor throughout the film, and I think without that, it wouldn't be nearly as good because it's, uh, as we've learned from movies this year, such as Batman versus Superman, being 100% grim is not good for your audience. Like, if your yeah. movie is exhausting to watch... It doesn't have to, to watch, be a Marvel jokey joke, but, like a way to leaven it because that's how humans especially now work when terrible shit happens we we make jokes about it you need you need levity because otherwise again like i said your film just becomes exhausting to watch and nobody likes that yeah and i'm going to use that as a brief tangent to go into uh so the the guy who made this movie is jeremy saunier and I've heard his name pronounced differently, but I'm pretty sure it's Jeremy Sonia. Um, and he's n- notable because his last film, he basically bankrupt, bankrupt himself to make. And that was Blue Ruin a couple years ago. And it ended up working out for him because that movie was quite successful on the festival circuit. And it is an incredible movie. Uh, and if you like this movie, I suggest going back to Blue Ruin. It's, I, it, I mean, it's very similar in terms of the... It's very tense. It has those moments of graphic violence, and it doesn't shy away from the after effects, but it also doesn't linger on them. And he's just like a master of tone. It's just incredible. And also, uh, the Nazi sidekick who lives, Macon Blair, is the star of that movie. Hmm. He's in every Jeremy Saulnier movie, and he is great. 
I really enjoy that because Sonia basically has put him in his movies because he thinks he's an incredible actor and wants to make him a star. And he's held up his end, I'll say that. Like, Bacon Blair is great, and I, I really want him to get more work. Also, Sonia's first movie was, like, a really low-budget, practically a college-first film, Murder Party in 2007, which is an overt horror comedy. And watching that gave me a lot more appreciation and understanding of where the black humor of Blue Ruin and Green Room comes from. The fun thing about Blue Ruin, uh, and this kind of gives you some insight into Jeremy Sonier, is he calls it, if um, No Country for Old Men, that story about revenge, uh, took place but the people in it were idiots. That is his description of his own movie. And it's really fun. Uh, yeah, one Ugh. thing that I've read is that he is a big into the like incompetent hero mm-hmm. trope. And it definitely shows, uh, kind of spoiling the end of Green Room, but the best <laughs> thing that happens is they draw on their faces with Sharpie and just jump out and go ham, and it works somehow, <laughs> and it is phenomenal. I just, <laughs> I have, yeah, I, the only comparable thing I can think of, we talked about it a little bit, um, it reminded me a lot of Your Next, but better done and with better acting because it's not like a mumblecore film. Yeah. Like it has actual actors in it. Not like, okay, if that was mean. It has like trained actors in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So three movies for this year that we have really liked so far. One that we didn't really like, but you might like. Uh, yeah. So. And I also want to just briefly shout out ones that Kayla hadn't seen. Tangle Overfield Lane is great. The Imitation is really good. Keanu's fun. Hush was disappointing, and the forest is trash. <laughs> Good times. But now we shall descend, descend into our discussion of 2016's latest blockbuster smash. And the another in the line of Marvel's successes that just will not end. It, uh, st- it is... Has, uh, hmm. Captain America Civil <sighs> War! <laughs> How much Bucky means to you? Stay out of this one, please. You only make this worse. You saying you'll arrest me? There will be consequences. Captain, you seem a little defensive. Well, it's been a long day. If we can't accept limitations, we're no better than bad guys. That's not the way I see it. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. I just want to make sure we consider all our options. Because people that shoot at you usually wind up shooting at me, too. You know what's about to happen. Do you really want to punch your way out of this? What do we do? We fight. this fight any other choice but he's my friend so was i captain america civil war is the third captain america film also basically the third avengers film uh it's the i don't know like the 30th film in the marvel current marvel cinematic universe in phase three and it's directed by anthony and joe russo the directors of captain america winter soldier and the future director of avengers movies and it stars 
Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Paul Bettany, Jeremy Renner, Don Cheadle, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Rudd, Chadwick Boseman, Emily Van Camp, Daniel Brühl, Frank Grillo, William Hurt, Martin Freeman, Tom Holland, and Marissa Tomei. That was really <sighs> impressive. <laughs> I honestly did not think I'd make it through the whole thing. And uh, produced by Kevin Feige. So. <laughs> so uh we can't say that the box office totally is yet for this movie as it is the first weekend but it did make let's see uh captain america civil war hauls an estimated 75.2 million dollars on friday that's just friday I believe, domestic i believe it made 30 million from the thursday previews uh, as well open and uh today it says captain america civil war opens with 181.8 million dollars and with the global with the including the international box office, which you may have heard was two hundred million dollars last weekend, it's already at six hundred seventy-five million dollars <laughs> after two weekends overseas and one weekend here. I just want to say, oh god, that I could not possibly be more excited about this. <laughs> but what? Okay, the Kayla. Here's the important question: It is a financial success, and it will fund Marvel movies for years to come. But was it any good? Short answer, yes. Uh, long answer. So we, we t- have talked about Civil War on the podcast probably more than almost any other movie already. Really? When have we ever talked about... <laughs> I think if you go back to like our... Chris Evans. <laughs> I think if you go back to like one of our first episode or two, there is us talking about how we're excited but wary for Civil War. This wasn't and... even... Inten- like the Chris Evans corner was not an intentional thing. <laughs> it happened by accident. Like four episodes in a row. All right, anyway. And that so, turned Kayla into the monster she is today. I mean, I was already a Chris Evans fanatic. Anyway, but anyway, I definitely had a lot of reservations about this movie in the months leading up to its release because everybody in the universe was cast in it. <laughs> um, the last Avengers movie was fairly lackluster, in my opinion. And there are a lot of things that can go wrong when you have a giant ensemble movie. And plus... At first, I was honestly just annoyed because Captain America is my favorite of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You don't say. Heroes? Yeah. Heroes. Like, the the Captain America movies have consistently been my favorite movies throughout. It is kind of annoying to see your favorite superhero kind of... or Okay, so it appeared that he was kind of getting his movie super hijacked. And I was a little annoyed about that at first... But having seen the movie, I am so thrilled with how it turned out. And I think that the Russos have done a better job with the characters that they've been given in the past two movies that they've directed than any other director in Marvel has done. I think that they have a great eye for working with an ensemble. And I think that's because they have had their start in like kind of in comedy sitcom television because they've worked on community and a couple other shows. So I think that when you come from kind of that TV world, you know better how to fit in character development for a lot of different characters in a short amount of time. And, um, another great thing, the pacing of the movie was phenomenal. It is the longest Marvel movie, but I can't say that at any point I felt that it was long or that it was overly long and honestly they probably could have kept going for like another four hours and i would have been fine like that might be my like slightly biased opinion but no 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 that's um yeah i 
enjoyed it so much, the credits rolled, and I literally burst into tears. <laughs> Spoiler, Captain America doesn't die, which was my other, like, great, terrible fear. I might give movie. a little bit more of a spoiler warning ahead of that. But... Well, they, it's, they know. <laughs> they know. <laughs> we'll do a disclaimer. I'll record a disclaimer before the episode. <laughs> hey, just so you know, dummies, we're going to spoil the <laughs> fuck out of this. So if you haven't seen it yet, don't come crying to me when you haven't... Uh, when you didn't see the movie and you listened to the podcast about the movie. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Listening to our podcast. <laughs> but What's yeah. Wrong with so, um, can I go off of that? Yeah. Go. <laughs> Let's just say. So, I mean, I don't think I like this movie as much as Kayla, but that's just a testament to how much Kayla loved this movie because I really enjoyed it. And I just, the whole time I just kept thinking, I can't believe how well they're handling every character. The cover is literally 12 characters facing off. And each one of those gets a moment that doesn't feel too shoved in, even Spider-Man. Each one of them gets a couple moments that feel natural. It doesn't feel too crazy to have any of them in the movie. And just the way that they're able to balance all of that is kind of preposterous because that seems like an impossible feat. And the other thing is that on top of all of that, it still feels like Captain America's movie. It doesn't feel like, I mean, yes, like we've had the Avengers 3 whatever jokes, but it is definitely very much centered on the relationship between Steve and Bucky and about his conflict with the Accords and with, not, it's, and that was the other thing too that I was worried about was I felt that the civil war between Steve and Tony wasn't really earned in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they don't really have that same complete deep devotional friendship that they do in the comic books but going into it it the, the it wasn't really about the conflict just between steve and tony it really was the conflict between these two not even necessarily opposing sides because both of them can see the other side's point and like they are all close friends and they all know each other and I do think that it was nice to finally kind of get that spotlight on the relationship between Steve and Tony, because that is a huge part of the comics that I feel has been really lacking throughout the adaptation, is that they are really, even though they're always trying to kill each other pretty much, they are the heart of the team and they are, like, super husbands. Like, that's basically what they are. And it's nice to finally see that kind of camaraderie and eventually in the end that understanding between the two of them that while they are different kinds of people they ultimately both want what is best for the world now, the only times i felt a little like it felt more like an avengers movie than a captain america movie was when we'd flash to vision and scarlet witch in the tower like anything that happened in avengers tower with those two felt like this is more it felt more like kind of like set up for the next avengers movie yeah but the, in a way that those were also necessary to explain why those two are where they are when the uh, actual events ha when the big battle happens later and also it's how you get Hawkeye back into the story which <laughs> I mean it was really important to explain how we got Hawkeye back in the story <laughs> yes and I think um, obviously I've had my criticisms of Joss Whedon in the past I can't appreciate how hard it must be to try and juggle that kind of a workload but I just the difference in the way that the characters are handled by the Russos is so immediately evident between, like, Winter Soldier and this movie. I am so thrilled to have them be in charge of the cinematic universe. And I think, honestly, Joss Whedon did his best 
but it is it was definitely time to hand it over to someone else and i think that they have more than proved that they are capable of handling this entire world because i think that you know like they don't really seem to get caught up in their own cleverness in the way that joss whedon does because that's fair that's my main beef with like age of ultron and um some of the other stuff that he clearly produced and had inserted into the other films um the russos don't sacrifice character for a joke We've talked about how in Age of Ultron, my biggest beef was the language thing when Cap literally swears in every movie and clearly has no problem with that and stuff and all of the things with Black Widow. And I just think it's nice to kind of have that fresh blood, fresh take on things because Joss Whedon worked at first and I think as the series went on and his wear and tear started to show a little bit more, it it wasn't going to keep working. <laughs> and... Yes, like, not to, like, discredit his work, and like I said, I do want to, like, I appreciate that it must be really difficult, and the work that he put into the cinematic universe shows, and I don't think it would be quite what it is today without his input, but I'm glad to have somebody else in charge. I wonder if it helps that, um, well, one, that the universe was kind of already set up, they have to shape it still, like, in what is to come, but also that they got, more to their credit, that they got to start on the Captain America movie, or, like, they got to start on a single-character movie and kind of work their way up in a way. So they kind of got to grow with the movies and now they're in charge of the Avengers movies and they're really good at it, but they kind of not, not had training wheels, but they got to do some, some important missions beforehand. So I think that another important thing to, to Joss Whedon's credit is that he had to do a lot of his work when Isaac Perlmutter and the Marvel creative committee were still in charge of the entire thing and it's pretty well noted. Like, John Favreau quit the Iron Man series because he couldn't deal with how ridiculously stringent they were. And he, like, very famously has blamed the train wreck that was Iron Man 2 on basically being forced to set up the entire universe within the movie. And I, again, despite my criticisms of Joss Whedon, want to say that I appreciate his work and I appreciate that he probably did the very best that he could under ridiculous conditions. And it's crazy now that Perlmutter's gone, how quickly uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is open to more movies. Chris Evans is totally chill with coming back. John Favreau has talked a little bit about maybe directing another movie. I mean, I think it, yeah, I think that what they realized basically was that the way that they were running things was just making everybody unhappy and these kind of movies don't work if the actors and the directors and everybody are unhappy while trying to make them. Because at their heart, Marvel movies are fun. Mm-hmm. And if everybody is having a miserable time while making them, it will show. And we can talk about how these are all rich or famous actors, but when only like one, like when almost nobody is getting paid a salary that is at all reflective of how much money the movies are making. No matter where you work, it's going to manifest in your morale and that's going to affect how you feel about the work you're doing because you're going to feel undervalued because you're not mm. being properly concept. Con- you're not being properly concept. <laughs> you're not being properly compensated for the work that you're doing on this major franchise in which you're a vital cog. And it's like, yeah, so the thing is, like, yes, obviously they're millionaires, so the kind of sympathy I feel for them is a little bit less than somebody else, but at the same time, if I was working at a job and I saw a $670 million return and I was only getting paid like $3 million, I would be a little peeved about that. And 
I just, yeah, these movies, like I said, they only work if everybody's having a good time while doing them. And I think that the series would immensely suffer if everybody bailed out. <laughs> and I, I talked a little bit with one of my friends and he was like, eh, I don't know, like, it seemed like a good time for maybe some of these superheroes to exit. And I'm like, not really, because it's comics. And even when superheroes leave in comics, even if they are literally disintegrated, uh, they usually find a way to come back. So I think in that way, you kind of have to appreciate the genre a little bit in that it's not really ridiculous to have the same character in a bunch of different storylines because that's what you're adapting from. So if Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans want to keep making Avengers movies until they're like 80 years old, fine, I guess. I'm okay with that. I really enjoy all of these movies and uh we talked about this a little bit before um i know that a lot of people feel kind of burned out on superhero movies and i think that has more to do with everybody else trying to jump on the bandwagon than it does actually with marvel because if you think about it or at least in my opinion i think that the universe that they've built is one of the most incredible and interesting things that we have seen in cinema in a long time um, I think it is completely crazy to have even had that idea to try and tie everything together. And I think ultimately that's what has made superhero movies a viable, uh, a viable franchise, I guess, because until Dark Knight, Iron Man, etc., those movies, it, it wasn't taken seriously. It wasn't a genre. It wasn't something that you would be excited about with the entire world to see and I think also it is great to see kind of that nerd culture brought to the mainstream and made accessible for everybody because for a long time anybody who isn't like a straight white guy has been pretty much sidelined like there's there's a reason I don't buy comics anymore I didn't feel comfortable going to the comic book shop because everybody that worked there kind of made me feel like I shouldn't be there because I didn't happen to know every single thing that ever happened in Marvel history I went to the local comic book shop for the first time because I didn't know it existed till now and even I felt that way and I'm a straight white dude who reads comics there was, I, I do want to shout out the comic book shop we had back in Saginaw, Michigan, Coy's Comics, because <laughs> seriously, the greatest comic book shop in the world. Shouts to Steve, who I Steve. never picked up my last batch of comics. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Steve is like the one person that ever like made me feel welcome, even though I was super noob. But like, I think a really important thing that the Marvel movies have done, I think it's great that Marvel has made these kinds of things accessible for everybody and I, it's really fun to see little kids running around dressed up as superheroes it's great to see little girls being excited about black widow or like another like ray from star wars it's just to see all of these things become great giant not that star wars wasn't a giant money-making machine but like to see it become something for everybody and not just this weird niche thing is really great and i think that civil war is kind of the culmination of that um, I think that it is, I mean, obviously we don't know because Infinity Wars isn't out yet, but I think it is probably the best ensemble movie we're going to get until those come out. And yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I can't believe I've gotten to this point without saying it, but 
fucking Black Panther. I'm so excited. Chadwick I, Boseman is the best. Oh my god. It's nice to see him not in a biopic, yes. <laughs> but he was great in all those biopics. That's true. And I am so fucking amped for that movie, even though it's silly that it's two years till it comes out when it sets up so well for I this movie. I am really annoyed about that. I think that they should have pushed Spider-Man or something. To be fair... Spider-Man was really good all as well. Yeah, I was really worried about Spider-Man. I thought he was going to be really shitty, honestly. And he fit in really well. He did a good job. And I think that's part of the reason they have to... The way that they set it up, they kind of have to rush Spider-Man because the whole thing with the new Spider-Man is that he's young. And Tom Holland has a very youthful face, but if they waited two, three years to make that movie, he's probably going to look a little older. Um, And then the movie after that is going to be even older. I don't like it. I want the Black Panther movie ASAP. But it's one of those things like, given that, I, I guess I could see why. But I just want the, I want the Black Panther movie, man. And yeah. the Captain Marvel movie, which will be the first female Marvel superhero movie that we'll get in 2019. Is it coming? I thought it was coming out in 2018. Maybe. I don't know. It's like late 2018 if it is. <laughs> because the next movies we're getting are Doctor Strange. Yuck. Going super well. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Alright. And something else that I forgot. And never in humans ever again. <laughs> <laughs> um, while we're speaking about Marvel sequels, this seems to set up for Secret Avengers. And I wonder if that's just going to be a subset of the Infinity Wars movies. Or if we're actually going to get anything with the Secret Avengers going forward. I really hope that that's true, uh, because I love Steve, obviously. Um, a Secret Avengers movie would be pretty cool. Yeah. Like I, a special, fo- it's almost like Suicide Squad, like a, a special forces Marvel movie. Where the, <sighs> Yeah, where they're just kind of like doing their own thing off in the world. Um, I, yeah, and also like outside of being in love with Steve Rogers, I think that Wanda Maximoff is an incredibly interesting character and that Elizabeth Olsen is great and I would love to see more of her maybe before or after during infinity wars um i've only seen i've only really seen elizabeth olsen be great in one movie and that's not because she isn't good in other movies i just don't think she's had as many great opportunities as we'd like but Mm -hmm. martha marcy Mae marlene she is so good in that yeah and someone i know i know she's like not exactly down on her luck being an olsen sister but yo give that girl a spot to shine please yeah and also, um, oh, so I do, that. obviously, no. we're spoiling the shit out of this, but I cannot say how happy I am that they did not kill Steve. Like... It looks like they might kill Tony for a second. I know. The whole... I've never been more stressed in my entire life I thought the Iron Man 4 stuff fight. might have been, like, to throw people off well, the trail. Well, that's what I thought his whole, like, if Marvel wants me, they got me kind of thing <laughs> Both was. Both of them So, yeah, that. so what happened was I was like, oh my god, he's safe. It's fine. And then halfway through the movie, I was like oh my god, what if they were just tricking us the whole time and he is still going to die? Because that's like the, basically the main thing that happens in Civil War. That's what ends the Civil War in the comics is Steve getting the shit killed out of him. The shit killed <laughs> out of him. Yes. Well, because, so you have Crossbones and you have Agent 13 Crossbones. in this movie. And so it's like... <laughs> like Crossbones I really felt gets like outed quick. I was not expecting him to die. I think that Frank Grillo is a little bit underused in both Captain America movies. To be fair, when you have so many heroes, it's hard to give like 
third like the third villain in a movie time to shine i will say it's interesting i have found out that there's a huge subset of people that super ship steve and rumlow Mm. and out of every ridiculous thing that i've ever shipped in my life that's one that i really just don't get that's just not the kind of dude that steve is like he just would not ever be okay with any of the shit that he does i'm sorry it's like steve and the punisher like nah nah." (laughs) um Another thing I can't believe I've waited this long to get into, and I think that's good. There's so much with this. There's movie. so much to talk about, yeah. Daniel Bruhl as the villain, who's just a human, a uh, very smart, intelligent human who's got a lot of uh, wherewithal and can do some stuff. But even though he ha- doesn't get a lot of screen time because it's a twelve-hero Marvel movie is maybe the best Marvel villain we've had yet. And shouts to Daniel Bruhl, who in a bunch of movies, but is most notably Rush, is an incredible actor. I think He's that's so what good. it is, too. Is like, He's so good. If you had probably anyone who wasn't as proficient of an actor as him in that role, it would have been pretty flat. Yeah. But because he's such a dynamic actor who can work with, honestly, not a lot to work with. Yeah. I think he did a great job, and uh, the only like I like I know he's like Baron Zemo or whatever. I kind of think that that was a little bit of a throwaway to give him that name. Kind of how they had uh, they didn't even call him Baron. He's well, that's just like how they Zemo. had. Well, that's like how they had Baron von Strucker in yeah. Age of Ultron, and then they just like killed him immediately. Yeah. It's kind of like, and I know that you can't have every single thing ever from the comics be exactly the same as they are in the comics, but it kind of feels like if you're gonna throw out these giant, like it, the same thing with killing Ultron at the end of Ultron is. He's kind of like the big bad in the Marvel Universe. He keeps coming back because he's a fucking computer robot that can go into any whatever. They can find a way to bring him back. I mean, I'm sure that to. I'm sure that they might at some point. But um, I guess my main gripe is that I wish that they would give these names to characters with more to do in a way. But I also understand why Like you would rather focus on the heroes than the villains. Because it's not really... The way that the, the cinematic universe is set up is that it's not really built to focus on villains the way that like a dc movie is i also don't have much like i don't have very little connection with zemo i have much more connection with daniel Bruhl. yeah so I'm like, daniel Bruhl do work Hell yeah. <laughs> and technically he is still alive to be there if they want to bring him back for whatever yeah it's got to break him out of the jail he broke someone out of that jail like you totally break him out of that jail steve can break anybody out of jail true uh did you see his muscles <laughs> i also enjoy having a bad guy who like okay loki i guess is a bad guy who isn't a quote-unquote bad guy even though loki he's, is a bad guy yeah nope, like don't he's bad yeah he's, <laughs> he committed like, genocide he's bad. then again zemo <laughs> is bad he killed a lot of people there, a lot of people he's not like supernaturally bad the way that he's, ultron is or he's the way... human and he has human motivations and even though he is a terrible person who killed a lot of people he's not like thanos see. where he just wants to rule the universe like it's very much a like you said a very human kind of villainy yeah. he committed mass murder to avenge mass murder really yeah <laughs> I think they do a good job of pointing out how ridiculous that kind of a motivation is when, at the end, when Chala is talking to him and is like, you've been consumed by revenge and I have just now realized that I also have been consumed by revenge. I and I it feels. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really good thing, too, is, like, it's really easy to throw everybody against each other to be mad about everything, but... 
one of the standout things about a Marvel movie is that the heroes spend a lot of time thinking critically about their actions. And that's really also the heart of this movie, too, is thinking critically about the collateral damage that you cause. Because, yes, the Avengers do a lot of good, but also in the name of doing good, bad things happen. And it's it's interesting because in real life, people aren't usually concerned with that collateral damage. A lot of times, like, people aren't thinking about the innocent civilians that get killed during war. And it's kind of funny to watch people debate over whether Steve or Tony is right when I know for a fact in real life most people are completely apathetic about that. Because (laughs) in a way, like, obviously we don't have, like, superhero, like, cataclysmic events happening, but we do have things like this happening in our world every day where us as good guy Americans are going to war to fight evil dictators that we half the time set up. But, uh... (laughs) We have drones killing innocent children in the name of defending freedom. We have... And some people care, but it's not like... The the, the nation isn't up in arms about it all the time. Yeah, and so I think it's, it's interesting to see that kind of played out in this movie. Because ideologically, it's nice to think that we could control a superhero group and make sure that collateral damage doesn't happen. But the reality of the world is that it's impossible to avoid that. Like if you think about it in Avengers age of Ultron, it's pointed out that a lot of innocent people died in Sokovia, but if they had just let Ultron drop the city extinction. And I think at a certain point, like when you are that kind of like Steve says, like you kind of, you have to weigh the numbers, like you have to do the math. Like it's, in a way better for those people to sacrifice their lives than to have the entire world die because evil robot went crazy. And you got to be careful with that line of thinking to a certain point, but in this context where it's someone already committing mass murder. Yeah. Or even like, so the, the, the thing that we have about the Avengers is that we know unequivocally that their motivations are good, yeah. which is why like, if this was happening in real life, we wouldn't have that kind of clarity because like, I don't think that uh, like any of like, I don't think that the military is unequivocally good and that they're always doing the best thing for us. Whereas if the Avengers were real, I pretty much would know that because they're a bunch of demigods who just decided that they were going to make sure aliens didn't murder us all the time. So the premise of the whole thing kind of only works if you suspend your disbelief a little bit of the way that the world works. <laughs> See, I was going to ask you about that. Like, do you think it, do you think it deals, like, do you think it gives short shrift to that debate or do you think it gives it enough? I think it's not a realistic enough situation to have a real life debate about mm-hmm. because it's like when you ask a vegan if they were dying in the desert and they saw an armadillo, if they'd kill it and eat it. Like if these demigods were all real and the technology was yeah. viable. <laughs> so like realistically, Uh, generally a vegan is never going to be starving in the desert and have to murder an armadillo. Whereas we're probably never going to have Captain America and Iron Man deucing it out. And I do think it's kind of funny is that like, they're so like the whole point of the movie is that they're worried about the collateral damage that happens. So they spend the entire movie fighting each other physically. And notably (laughs) and noticeably empty areas. I guess, but it's like, hey, you know how everybody's afraid that we just cause millions of dollars of destruction everywhere we go? What if we fight each other to prove that? that This this movie very much makes a point that it's about the human life. They don't I don't know that they mention money a lot. If they do, it's just like 
as a toss-in. <laughs> it's about the human life, and so when the big battles happen, they do happen in places where there are noticeably not, no humans. I did at one point lean over to Tyler during the movie. I was like, can you imagine how much our car insurance would cost if the shit was real? Because like they just like throw cars at each other, and they just like smash things, and like Bucky pulls the, a dude off of his motorcycle. That would only get them in more trouble. <laughs> it's like, nobody died but I'm just trying to imagine like being on the phone with my insurance company and being like, I don't know. It was parked at the airport and I came back and it was on the ground smashed. You saw the video footage of the giant dude like walking through shit, right? <laughs> like there is no way you can claim that I was responsible for that. I'm pretty sure they literally punted an airplane. What do you want me to do about that? <laughs> right. And so I, I think Crack did an article about this once about like how miserable it would be to actually live in a superhero universe and i think that marvel does try we to see do... a lot of people move into like middle america <laughs> no but like marvel does do a good job of trying to be like well tony stark has a relief foundation that he sends in to fix shit when stuff goes wrong and like they do like and i also wondered about this like when they were talking about the sokovia accords and all this stuff is like who pays them like does tony just pay all of them or do the governments like give them rewards for I, well, making I, sure they don't die? No, I think the big. I think part of it is that okay, this is like a ridiculous thing to get into, but let's get into it. They <laughs> I'm just curious. Clearly, Steve does not want to be indebted or under the under any thumb of any of these governments because of how it'll complicate his job, and so I think the money has to be come from like within, which would mean Tony. Tony. And, think, like in I the bigger it's... Marvel universe, you also have like a uh, Hank, P- like Hank Pym and mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Fantastic, who also are like cajillionaire geniuses. <laughs> I just think it's interesting. It's like, like I know. Do they get a stipend? I, like, yeah, that's like, like where did he get paid it? permission? <laughs> where does he get his nice clothes from? Like they all dress very nicely. Vision. I mean, I guess Vision could probably make his clothes. I'm assuming Black Widow just steals shit, but like, <laughs> <laughs> she actually had a government salary for a while. Yeah, you know? well, yeah. I mean, before she she's... turned out to be Nazis, and now she's just like, what's up? Yeah, and I mean, I, like, yeah, it's silly to get into, like, what are the real world, like, parallels in these things, but it is fun to talk about yes, stuff like is. that sometimes. And we already talked about Black Panther and Spider-Man, but I was just thinking, not only were they served really well as introductions, uh, that was a, those are pretty nice backdoor pilots, basically, for those. <laughs> like, when we, when we talked about the end with Baron Zemo, they give Black Panther an arc in this movie, and it's kind of, like, in the background for the most part. Because he has, like, probably the sixth most screen time. But it is, like, a legitimate arc. And mm-hmm. you kind of see him come to terms with his father's death and how he's going to live his life going forward, not being, like, a murderous uh, king warrior. And so you could kind of go into the next movie with him already of having kind of a character arc. Spider-Man, not as much, but we're at least introduced to him. And I, ju- I just think it was a smart way to handle the fact that there is definitely origin movie fatigue if not superhero movie yeah, fatigue. Yeah, so that we can kind of get into these movies and already know Especially who they are. Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't need to see anything about Spider-Man. It's going to be the, Spider-Man. I do enjoy that's the youngest Spider-Man yet, but he's not going to have an origin story, whereas the I, older ones yeah, did. Yeah, and I also, another thing that I liked about Spider-Man was that they went back to him doing, like, tech stuff to be yeah. Spider-Man as opposed to... And he's young and he's making jokes and Tom Holland can make those jokes. And, yeah. yeah, I think that's what we haven't really touched on, but the humor in this movie is spot-on phenomenal. Every interaction between Sam and Bucky. It's is the great. Marvel movie thing, but it's done like as well as ever here. A plus, yeah. yeah. And I think with such serious matter, it's again like we talked about it with Green Room. It's good to have that kind of levity 
to make sure that your movie doesn't just become an exhausting slog about superheroes differing ideologically. Especially with the human characters. (laughs) For some reason, like, they're just being over it with these demigods is fun. (laughs) Like, whenever, like, like Falcon or Hawkeye or Black Widow, like, whenever any of them make jokes, (laughs) you just enjoy it. It's like, yeah, they gotta just be like, yeah, Vision is like... I don't know, Jesus, and he can float through shit, and he has a laser in his forehead? My favorite joke uh, was when Natasha is fighting with Bucky when he gets brainwashed back into Winter Soldier mode, and she's like, come on, man, you could at least recognize me. <laughs> we spend an entire movie fighting each other. <laughs> but, yeah. and These hyper-capable people who are somehow still in over their heads, <laughs> so just like... This is, I've, we're doing this now, I guess. And that's what I like, is that they, even the demigod characters are very human. And, like, Tony kind of is that, like, in-between ground where Tony is a normal person, but his suit gives him an immense power that puts him up on the level. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. I think that they do a really good job of humanizing all of the characters and making it so that they aren't just these, like, unreachable, unattainable, completely unrelatable gods. Yeah. <laughs> So I think what we can determine is that Marvel still has a super huge advantage over DC. <laughs> uh, they're going to continue making movies that will mostly be successful going forward. It looks like Doctor Strange will legitimately be the first test of that. Yeah. But I still think that movie will do fine. It'll I'm do fine because people will It'll do fine it. and people will talk about how it didn't do as well as like mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy or something. Or cracks showing. I, I think Civil War might help prevent some of those articles, which I'm just kind of... Now, I, I don't want to be a total Marvel stand, but I'm just kind of, like, over... Uh, when there's something legitimately to talk about with cracks possibly showing the foundation of movies, like, DC is seriously going under some shit now, the next round of... I think I'm just going to roll my eyes the next round of our cracks showing in the Marvel Foundation, because I don't think, clearly I don't, not yet. I don't think one slight mishap... And even then, here's the thing. I still think, like, as much as I really don't care about Doctor Strange, and as much as I think they fucked up the casting for that... It's still going to make a billion dollars. Like, it's fine. And they have Guardians of the Galaxy right after that. The Avengers movies. Well, this is exactly like everybody was like, oh, is Ant-Man the first sign of weakness? And, like, Ant-Man was fine. It did pretty well. The only problem with Ant-Man was that it was pushed back. If it hadn't been pushed back, nobody would have had any of those complaints. And I think they kind of need to establish that some of these side movies, and, like, reflect that with the budget and that, too, can be smaller movies. Yeah. I think, like, I kind of like having some smaller movies. Not every single thing has to be a mega billion dollar blockbuster yeah. event. And they just kind of need to, Marvel just kind of needs to get that across to, like, so that every time a movie doesn't make a billion dollars or whatever, it's not, people aren't making a huge deal of it. Like, yeah, we're yeah, happy with this. I think it's a weird thing. It's like, we talked about this a little bit, how everybody is like, oh, Melissa McCarthy is always one step away from failure. And it's like, she's really not. Like, all of her movies have made millions and millions of dollars. This one didn't make as many hundreds of millions as the last one. Yeah, is it over? Exactly. Probably not over. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would be remiss also not to mention the great acting job that Chris Evans does in this movie. I know that like a lot of people don't really consider him as a very serious actor, but I think if you look at the way that he carries himself in real life as a real person, the difference between Chris Evans and Steve Rogers is so palpable. And I think that a lot of people kind of undervalue the acting work that goes into these superhero movies because they're like, oh, it's just like a giant blockbuster. But the way like Steve Rogers is kind of an anxious man and he's a reserved person and like just even the way that like he stands and the way that he holds himself and the way that he fights he 
just I just hmm. he is he is really good. I make fun of you a lot, but I really enjoy Chris Evans, and I do think he's a good actor. Well, because it's like like Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man or or, or and Tony Stark are kind of very similar people, yeah. and like that works for him, and that's, that's he does great it that, really well. Yeah, and that's great that he gets to play that role. But I think it is it should be noted that it is really interesting to see like these really bright, vivacious, like laugh out loud men like Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans like really tone themselves down and throw themselves into their work to create these very guarded, very different old fashioned kind of men. And I think that, um, Captain America is kind of one of those very misunderstood characters because he happens to be named Captain America and his origin in the comics is very much born out of a sense of ridiculous over patriotism. But for me, uh, Captain America has always been the ideal in a way. He's the kind of man that I would want to be like it, if every American was the way that Steve Rogers is, <laughs> I would feel a lot more patriotic. And I think that that's what people miss a lot is they think that he is just kind of a propaganda item. And a lot of his arc is dealing with overcoming that image and living life as his best self and trying to keep to his ideals and keep to the way that he feels that he wants the world to be. And sometimes that's overly optimistic as shown in this movie because they are pretty much lured into a trap at the end because Steve can't admit that he could even be a little bit wrong about something. Yeah. And it's like, he's a flawed man. He's very smart. He's very idealistic. He cares a lot about things, but at the same time he kind of has his own bravado going on despite all of that. This movie is full of a lot of great actors who are, or probably will be in their own right movie stars. Like, I think part of the thing with Chris Evans that doesn't get him, get him as much respect is he doesn't have the work outside of Marvel mm -hmm. to kind of show, like, to validate his Marvel work. <laughs> like, Robert Downey Jr. has that. Uh, Scarlett Johansson has that. Very visibly with Lucy, which wasn't a great movie, but she also has stuff like Under the Skin. Mm -hmm. um, even Chadwick Boseman with those biopics. Like, yeah. he does a really good job in those. And I think... Really, you don't have a lot to go to with Chris Evans. I just pulled up his IMDb, and you like there are some yeah. movies. There's well, like... and that's like his thing too. Is he's like, I want to stay with Marvel because I'm tired of not being proud of the movies that I put out. And I think that's a very yeah. that's very big of him to admit because it's hard and to he's be such like... an integral part of the Marvel universe that he doesn't mm -hmm. have as much time to yeah. do other things. Well, and also I think a lot of the reason that he not like he kind of gets that disrespect because he is very stereotypically masculine yeah. looking, and if you aren't listening to his inner like if you just look at pictures of chris evans in real life he kind of looks like a douchebag and like i love him to death because i know what kind of man that he is and no. i know that the kind of masculinity that he is is not the kind of toxic masculinity that people believe him to be a part of and i think that the way that he carries that into his character and the way that he just lives his life is something that should be more lauded and appreciated where we have like we have all of these like you said we have all these great actors and actresses in these movies who people just love and worship and i think it's absurd that i still have to deal with people being like uh but like captain america really like he's like all of the captain america movies are great and i would say that these last two are top tier best marvel movies like i just and that's like I don't even think that that's a biased opinion personally the thing is <laughs> the best example like at least I'm totally biased because I love this movie but still one of the best counter examples we have for what else he can do is Scott Pilgrim versus the world there's Scott Pilgrim like, I still he's think he's done before we go and playing it cool but like those playing it cool was bad before we go was fine it, like, it's Steven different even Snowpiercer that movie is so over the top and like he's the main character 
But the main, the train is the main character of that mm-hmm. movie. Like that is not. That is not that is not his Lucy. It never could have been his Lucy. No, and I like mean, that. yeah, I think that eventually he will get his own chance to shine outside of Marvel, especially now that people are taking him a little bit more seriously. And like Cr- with his directing, Chris Hemsworth work, is getting more chances than Chris Evans. It feels like, and like, the Thor movies. God are bless not you, new. Chris Hemsworth. You are you are by all accounts a uh, charming man and a great husband. But the Thor movies are not the same caliber as the Captain America movies. And the movies that you make outside of the Thor movies are not that great. Yeah. I think the the next movie we have coming up that's a non-Chris Evans movie is directed by Mark Webb, Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. uh, starring Chris Evans and Jenny Slate. Okay. Uh, it's called Gifted. A man tries to raise the brilliant young daughter of his dead sister, but battles his mother over custody. I did see that. It'll be interesting to see him in that kind of a small, like a small town kind of movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, Octavia Spencer. That isn't, like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times early in his career, he was corralled into kind of that dude bro thing. Like, we watched What's Your Number and, like, Playing It Cool are really good examples of that. And you can tell that he's not really having a good time making those movies. And, like, here, like... Those are like those Garrett Hedlund and uh, uh, Charlie Hunnam movies, like roles. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and like, and I think now, I think now even a good like he values himself more, and I don't like he doesn't have to just accept work. That's probably enough money that he doesn't need. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just excited to see <laughs> where nice he goes place. from here. Yeah. And also, like, I just want the kind of man who is a sensitive stargazer and can bicep curl a helicopter. The ideal dude. There it is. There it is. <laughs> the best scene in the movie. I, I will say, um, as beautiful as it was, I did literally burst out laughing when it happened because it's so ridiculous. It is so gratuitous. But it's also like so nice to see that kind of a role reversal where we have this gratuitous money shot of a bicep <laughs> as opposed to like I don't know, Black Widow being in a towel getting out of the shower. Like it's it's different because it is a role reversal and it is I don't know. There's an essay that I have. He's like the the one for that, the punching bag scene and yeah, and it's like chopping wood. It's because I read a very interesting article, or, or not article, it was a Tumblr essay, but um, about like Steve Rogers and performative masculinity because Steve Rogers wasn't born into that kind of a body. He was born as a very small, like feminine wimpy guy and he was created in a bottle so he didn't really have that kind of context growing up he was always more of a sensitive person he's an artist he is um he's an old soul not even that actually he technically is an old soul yes but it's like because because he was like made in a bottle and because he wasn't born being the biggest guy in the playground he has a lot more depth to him and he has a lot more interesting thing like there are a lot more and, interesting things to unpack about the masculinity named, in there and for someone named captain america a lot of uh fight the man to him yeah and like that's <laughs> a lot of resistance too. to authority like i said he's very of. much like the ideal he's what you would want if you actually had that kind of a super soldier in real life fighting for you but yeah so kind of sounds like we're maybe wrapping up because we're getting off on weird tangents um We'll put, I, I will have that uh, essay about Steve and masculinity put into the show notes because it is a really good read and I think it's really important because it kind of touches on the way that Bucky is treated as an object throughout the movies as well. And yeah, I don't know. I loved every part of Civil War. I My expectations were medium and were more than exceeded. I'm really excited to see where the Russo brothers take us next in Marvel World 
And also credit to you because you were going to use the idea of Bucky killing Steve's parents for a story. Yeah, what the years fuck? Ago. I forgot. It's so like two years ago. I was going to write a fan fiction and I was like, what if Bucky was responsible for Tony's parents dying? And it was in this movie. So somebody hacked into my Google Drive and found my Avengers fan fiction and used it in this movie. Snowden. <laughs> Damn you. Sony leaks? Maybe. Also, yes, no, I have no, as we have covered before, I have no shame. There are many good Avengers fan fictions. I didn't say anything. That were great during the time when Avengers movies were not so great. <laughs> they were there for me when no one else was. <laughs> so that. <laughs> is um, ca- any, what, do you have any final thoughts, Kayla? That aren't. I just, I'm really happy to have had an entire episode that was a Chris Evans corner. It was really good. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess we can move into recommendations. <laughs> um, I'm just going to recommend that you watch Winter Soldier again because it's great. You recommended Scott Pilgrim last week. I can't do that. Did I? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because Brie Larson having fun. <laughs> I think I've recommended Snowpiercer before. It's fine. Which if are you, like the two Chris Evans movies I'd go to. If you want to be horrified by misogyny against Anna Faris, you could watch What's Your Number, but... No, I'm, I'm going to say... So is your recommendation... Civil, or, uh, Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier. Yeah. <laughs> My recommendation, actually, since Black Panther is like who I was most hype on for this movie, uh, I do recommend checking out 42 and uh, Get On Up just to see how great Chadwick Boseman is and how stoked you should be for Black Panther. And uh, also appreciate that it's being directed by Ryan Coogler, who directed the excellent Fruitvale Station and Creed and god i just am so excited for black panther <laughs> i'm really yeah uh, we pretty much were all done with the movie and we're like so when is that coming out again <laughs> there are several interesting things about this movie um samuel jackson was surprised that he wasn't invited to be in the movie <laughs> but it's like he wouldn't really add anything so that's fine <laughs> so that's but one of my favorite parallels is during the big fight between captain america and iron man uh, Steve or Tony tells Steve to just stay down and he gets back up and says, I could do this all day, which is the same thing he says to the bully that he fights in the beginning of the first Captain America movie. And it just makes me emotional to, again, to see that same characterization throughout all of his movies, to see that that kind of resilience in him survives throughout everything that he goes through. Also, there's another scene where Steve has to jump into the water, and if I have to watch Steve almost drown in another movie, or actually drown in another movie, I am going to lose it. Stop making him almost drown. He probably has PTSD about it. <laughs> like, just stop. Anyway. The IMDb stat of the week is that <laughs> there are three movies from 2016 on the 250. Uh, Captain America Civil War. Uh, Zootopia. Still right. on there. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Number 138. Okay. It's pretty high up there, too. And then Deadpool at 156. It's kind of settled in. So no Revenant. That's 2015. Oh, duh. Fuck. Never mind. I'm an yes. idiot. Uh, you are going to have to watch The Revenant because it is... Number 191. So unless you want to put that off for five years... <laughs> I mean, we have so many other movies to cover before we would even possibly have to get to that. I so. have no interest in watching that anytime soon again anyway. Yeah. But, anyway, yeah. Uh, so yeah, thanks for listening to our giant spoiler cast of Captain America Civil War. And also the 2016 film. Yeah, uh, we're probably going to see we're probably gonna see it again a couple times in theaters, so uh, it probably will honestly end up keep being a 
topic of conversation, and I'm not sorry about that. Uh, she's not. <laughs> not even a little bit. Um, this is our first episode in a while without a guest, so that's kind of cool. Um, we do have kind of a huge backlog of people waiting to be guests on the podcast, but <laughs> if for some reason you have not yet told us that you want to do it, uh, you can email us at ltrfipod at gmail.com. Uh, just send us a list of movies you would want to do. Let us know who you are. Hopefully we know you. Another thing I do want to talk about, we did get an email from a filmmaker named Damien Swaby. I hope that I pronounced that right. Uh, you said that you listen to our podcast normally. We did get your email. It has been very busy and we have not had time to watch your film, but we are very honored that you sent it to us and allowed us to look at it early. So please rest assured that we do have plans to do that and we will talk about it at some point. And also point. if you send us your movie, we'll, we will give it a shout out. Yeah, no, it was, that was a really cool and exciting email to get. So, yeah. uh, thank you. For I that. mean, we are famous and <laughs> I am super medium, successful. Medium internet famous. Yes. But, um, so yeah, I just, it's really cool and exciting to get emails like that from people that we don't know. That are since, hype on the podcast. Since, yeah. Since most people that listen or that we interact with are like our friends. So that was really cool. Um, yeah, so that was the quick shout out for that. But anyway, uh, as far as social media goes, the best place to interact with us is Twitter, which is also LTRFIPod and Twitter.com. Mm. Um, I just posted some funny stuff. It's usually Tyler. We have a newsletter that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go to that at tinyletter.com slash LTRFI and sign up. It's just movie news, roundups. Uh, we have a Tumblr and a Facebook, which are both Let the Right Films In. And a Pinterest. And a Pinterest. I always forget about that. Um, Pinterest is actually kind of fun. I'm posting GIFs now. Yeah, yeah Tyler is making GIFs now, so. Of medium quality. No, <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so basically you can find us on social media, etc. We have way we too many. There. We have so many things now that it seems silly to just continually list all of them. The main But one, you should continually follow us. The main things are the Twitter, the email, and the The actual Tumblr. podcast itself, too. Yes. <laughs> we're available on all of your favorite podcatcher apps. and on... Including Stitcher and Google Play. Yes. And iTunes, if you rate and review us, that's cool. Maybe someday we could also get a TV show like Aaron Mankey. I'm waiting also for all of the sponsors to pour in. Looking at you, audible.com. We sponsor every other podcast. Why not us? But yeah, so uh, thank you for listening to us. We have been Let the Right Films In. Uh, Captain America Civil War was a great movie and always will be. <laughs> That's the new sign off. <laughs> we'll see you at the parents' conference. <laughs>
Oh, sorry, I'm just reading. Sorry, I was reading a message. If Casper sent me a mattress for a hundred days, I bet I would feel better. <laughs> I'm not sure throwing shade at sponsors on the podcast is what gets sponsors. <laughs> I know. 